Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Kim and I are here every week to talk the latest in the wine world, trends, topics, education, so much more, Kim, right? Mm -hmm. And today, we like to start our show, like Kim, with saying what we Googled ourselves this week. So, Kim, what did you research yourself this week for wine? Well, uh, as we are recording this show, we are in the middle of a lot of COVID-19, coronavirus information, lots of things happening, and it seems like on an hour-by-hour basis. So I did a little Googling about a particular outbreak that was going on in Spain, where, uh, unfortunately, my group was supposed to have been. uh, We were supposed to be traveling to Spain this week, and unfortunately, because of travel restrictions and fears uh, about this virus, that unfortunately, our our trip did have to be rescheduled. However, we still have been following the news fairly closely, and we were supposed to be spending two days in the famous wine region of Rioja in north central Spain. And the weekend that we were supposed to be there, they had a a massive outbreak of coronavirus. So it probably ends up being a good thing that we weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. A little scary. It is scary. It's getting out of control. So I think we'll start a show with go more in depth to it. So myself this week, Kim, I was looking at pesticides, researching pesticides, because I had a new wine line that was all about pesticide free. And I was looking at the top exporters of pesticides in the world. What countries do you think export the most pesticides out of their country to other countries? So are we talking about what countries manufacture the pesticides and then spend the yeah, I would assume they manufacture if they're, if they're shipping them all over the world. Hmm. So. Um, how about us? We are in the top three. Oh, okay. We are. We are number three. Number three. Uh, so the top see. one. How about China? China, exactly. China is number one exporter of pesticides. Germany, USA. And then I was surprised France was number four, Hmm. which is interesting because they don't really use much themselves. Yes, they do. Yeah. Oh, they absolutely do. Yeah, I always hear that they're cutting back, cutting back. They might be cutting back, but they do seem to be one of the higher users of of pesticides, especially for wine grapes. I remember reading a stat, I think it was last year, that something like 20% of all the pesticide usage in France is used on wine wine grapes. Wow. So they're sending a lot out. And then they're still sending it around the place. So the top, the other top countries were India, Belgium, the UK, Spain, Israel, and Italy. So those were the top pesticide exporters. So everybody know. Now we know. So I'd like to follow up on Kim's, what she Googled this week, to just talk amongst ourselves because the coronavirus thing is huge in the news today, Kim. And the overall impact, what are you seeing the impact on the wine industry besides canceling of your of your trip. Right. I mean, I think it's a lot of impact to the hospitality 
trades and tourism in general that are going to take a really uh, massive hit because of this. Um, so I'm thinking along the lines of like trips to wine regions and people going out for pleasure and fine dining and things like that. So I think as we see people maybe staying home more or being restricted to only staying in their their local communities that we're definitely going to see uh, a hit in events and a hit in the restaurant world. Well, those are all my follow-up questions to you because <laughs> I saw, I mean, we all have seen Italy is like shut down right yeah. now. And I'm seeing images from wineries where they're not allowed to go out, so they can't get people in to help. So I'm assuming down the line, not only tourists, I had friends who were going to Italy, you were going to Spain, that their trip got canceled. And that impacts their economy. No one's going there to visit. They showed Rome the other day, completely empty. Mm -hmm. So no one's visiting, no one's drinking wine. So it's going to is going to hurt everybody. Yeah, I've heard that. from wineries in, in Spain that haven't had visitors for weeks. And this is a good time of the year for visiting those places because it's not harvest time. There's a little bit less going on and it's a it's a good time to be able to go there and you know, speak to the winemaker or or see the owner or see what the what the vineyards look like in, in the downtime and that's just not happening right now. And then you see there were some major wine events. Vin Italy, which is held every year in Italy, mm -hmm. they postponed the event. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, wine events overseas are being canceled or, or, or rescheduled. Uh, let's talk about, I mean, we mentioned, you mentioned travel, Kim, the, the cruise industry is basically being shut down right now. So that's impacting people are not cruise, they're, they're not on cruises, they're not drinking right. wine on cruises. <laughs> that's so true. this that's is going true. to impact as well. Yeah, if you think of a cruise as, you know, a restaurant on the ocean, <laughs> then, yeah. you know, that's a lot of uh, dining and drinking that isn't happening. Let's talk about, you mentioned restaurants, Kim, you being in the legal seafoods restaurant industry. What are you seeing numbers wise? Because there was been some reports, New York, Seattle, between 20 and 50% down for restaurants. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen any of the numbers. I mean, the restaurants that I've been in still look fine. You know, people are going out to lunch, people are going out to dinner, we're have, still having dinners, things are still on. So I don't, I think it's still too soon, really, for us here to look at the numbers and see, wow, this is down over last week, over the week before, over the month before. Um, so I'm not sure where our industry here in Boston is going to land after all of this. Any uh, talk of uh, policy changes as far as looking at canceling of events or differences in cleaning or anything like that? At the sure. I mean, in the same way that a lot of other businesses are kind of doing the exact same thing. So how a lot of offices are making people work from home or are ramping up the cleaning and just making people be more aware of how important washing your hands is and using hand sanitizers. So yeah, so things have definitely been stepped up in, in a lot of restaurants, not just our restaurants, but across the board. I know I've seen a lot of people who are paying much more attention to to cleanliness in their restaurants. I was told by a local restaurant they're having problems finding like everyday cleaning supplies mm. to, to sanitize the restaurants because of the demand. Yeah, the yeah, industry. the demand there and, you know, a little bit of hoarding mentality, people going out and buying up all the Purell white. I've noticed during, did an event this week and had a lot of people call in sick or said they weren't coming. And I uh. think there's a lot of fear out there right now for, for people. So hopefully everything goes down fast. And, yeah, and yeah we, I think uh, a lot of people just don't want to gather. We're sort 
sort of being told that staying away from other people is going to be such a big help in making sure that, yes, this will spread, but let's try to slow the spread so that we can spread out the the medical response to it. So I think that a lot of people are really taking that to heart. And whether it's because they're concerned for their own safety or they're concerned for the safety of their loved ones or the whole community. Yeah, we'll it see. It gets you thinking. I, I had an event two weeks ago in Boston. You saw in the news there was a Boston hotel that mm-hmm. this, they had a company outing. Yep. And I had an event and 31, I think, out of the 35 people there were from Italy. It was an Italian oh, event. Oh, wow. Right? So now <laughs> all these people are from Italy. Then the next week after, there was an outbreak in yeah. Italy. So I'm like, oh, my God. And then they closed the hotel. Have you had your 14 so days since I, your class? I've been, yeah. It's been, four, it's been exactly four. You're okay. safe, I think. You're good. I'll breathe into the microphone. That's all right. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll follow over, over the time here how it's affecting uh, the wine world and keep everybody posted. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark at his website, franklinliquors.com. And you can find more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. So another article that was very near and dear to my heart. This is something that I like uh, I like to read up on, uh, no pun intended. Uh, novels that have wine as part of the book. And I always think it's, it's so fun when I'm reading fiction and there are references to wines and, and it's almost like I feel feel like I have the inside knowledge about what they're talking about. So uh, there was this really lovely article in Decanter about some fiction books, some new, some not so new, uh, that have a nice little focus on wine. Yeah, and pairing wine when reading these books is always encouraged by us, right, Kim? We, Indeed. We did a few events. We did one with the uh, Franklin Library where, where we picked a book that had wine mentioned in it and then tasted the wines from the book. What, yeah. what was the book? It was your recommendation. It was mine, yeah. So the book was called Sweet Bitter. Sweet Bitter, yes. Uh, and it was, um, it was fiction, but it was about a young woman who was a server in a big fancy restaurant in New York City, and it chronicled her year of learning about wine and learning about food and learning about how to work in a restaurant and deal with all the personalities and they talked about a lot of different wines so that one was super fun to do with a group of people from the franklin public library because then i was able to open up a bunch of the wines that were talked about in the book and give people that real tasting experience of what they were reading about and then we could really taste the wines too so that was pretty cool and they ended up making that into a little mini yeah it was a mini series on cable as well and i was shocked because when i had mentioned it to my son he had already read it and i never knew anything about it so and he was i guess he was telling me at one time that there's a lot of wine in this book. You should read it. <laughs> I finally did. Here, Dad, here's this book. <laughs> so let's mention uh, some of the, the books they were talking about here, Kim. Let's go through them. You want to start with one? Sure. So uh, the first one that they mention is a book that has been very popular over the last couple of years. It's called A Gentleman in Moscow. It is on my to, to read list, to listen to list. I have it on Audible. I was going to listen to it in Spain, <laughs> which didn't oh. happen. Um, but it is a story about a man who is, for all intents and purposes, is trapped in a hotel in Moscow uh, during, I think it was during the Russian Revolution, perhaps? Or I didn't get the time period, but yeah, I d- they mentioned a lot of famous wine regions. That, right. Uh, so there is a lot of reference to wines and wine regions. And they said in the book that all of the uh, wines from their wine cellar had had the labels removed to make things a little bit more equal or even. And so you never really knew what you got when you had a bottle of wine popped open. Um, so that is very soon to be on my to 
listen to list. It's the next audiobook on my list. So I can't wait to read that and listen to everything that they have to say about those different wines. And that was by, what was the author of that book? Amor? Um, uh, Amor Tolls, I believe Tolls. is the author. 2016 book. So you're finally getting to it. There Jen. we go. Uh, next, there was a book, The Debt to Pleasure by John Lancaster, a 1996 book. And this was about uh, rosé and travels in the Provence region of France. So this is another one right up your alley, Kim. You're the big French lover. So <laughs> very interesting read for foodies and wine lovers, they say. Sure. Yeah, this part of France is so the wine region is so tied up with the um, the food culturally. And that is, you know, definitely something that we see across all of France and across all of Spain. But there is this really nice relationship between the, the climate and the foods and the wines of southern France and this whole Mediterranean region. Next, Kim, what's that? And they actually listed for the next one, two detective novels that have a little bit of a wine focus. And both of these are uh, wine series that I have dipped my toes in. The first is a book called A Long Finish by Michael Dibden, which is a series of books that are based in Italy about an Italian police investigator with the wonderful name of Aurelio Zen. And uh, this one is, I believe, set in northern Italy. Yeah, it's said Piemonte. In Piemonte. Uh, and then the next series of books is set in the south of France. So we're back to France again. Obviously, if we're talking yeah. about wine and books, I think we're probably going to see a little bit of a, of a theme with wine regions here. Um, and that one is called The Templar's Last Secret. And this, again, follows a, uh, a police detective and uh, has to do with the wine in the region. And wine does feature fairly prominently in, in actually all of his books. Yeah, good point about most of the ones lately have been Italy, France, mm. Spain. We need more California books. <laughs> I think so. It, it's very interesting, you know, when, when you read food books or like travel books and things that have a big focus on wine, um, there, there is a lot of... There's a lot of Italy and <laughs> there's a lot of France in there. The last book, Kim, was My Italian Bulldozer by Alexander McCall Smith, 2016. This is a romantic novel that sets place in the Montalcino, Tuscany region so of we're Italy. Back to Italy. Back to Italy. And it was all about converting a vineyard from the Rosso di Montalcino to the Brunello di Montalcino. So a little bit of wine geekiness, but yeah. it's from a lower level grade wine to a higher grade wine. So it's sounds very interesting. I don't know how there was romance involved with that. So <laughs> it's one we have to seek out. Did so you know anything about this author? Did you say? I've Yeah, I've read a couple of, of his books, not not set in this area, but yeah, he's a, a fairly prodigious writer. All he's got romance a lot of stuff. novels uh, or all not necessarily. wine in them? No, no, no. A lot of wine in his other novels? Not that no. I remember, no. Then I don't want to. I'm <laughs> so not you can interested. read just this one. Yeah, not interested. No. Yeah. And there was one other book that I wanted to mention. I don't even know if I, I may have brought it up before, but there's a series of books with the first of which is called A Discovery of Witches. It was just made into a, a television show. And she, the author, her name is Deborah Harkness, um, is a an author. She's a historian. Uh, she was a college professor. And for a long while, she had a wine blog. So she's always had this uh, interest in wine. And I remember reading her wine blog because she was actually a professor at the university that I, that I was at when I did my undergrad. And I really loved reading her wine blog because she had some, you know, really nice insights into wine and was obviously very passionate about it. And um, she 
puts that into her books. So her books are actually um, fantasy books. They're about witches and vampires and demons and fun things like that. But there's a lot of wine in there. The main character really loves wine. So she does put little smatterings of Bordeaux and Burgundy and Champagne and all of these other things in there. So it's it's quite a pleasure to read the books um, and to have those little things pop up. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. You can find more information about Kim on her website, vinitaswineworks.com. You can find more information about myself at franklinliquors.com. And you can find past episodes of our show on SoundCloud or iTunes. Next, we have a food and alcohol wine-related article that was in uh, spiritsbusiness.com. And I love the idea of this company, Kim. They came up with a protein bar, which is... uh, specifically made to reduce alcohol absorption in your system. So you can basically drink responsibly, but have this protein bar in your stomach to offset the absorption rate of the alcohol. Exactly. So it's supposed to be sort of the equivalent of having eaten a full meal before you start drinking, but with far fewer calories. So I actually thought that that this was really interesting technology. We talk a lot about uh, responsible drinking and how if you are going to be consuming alcohol, what kinds of things you want to make sure you have in your system. You know, we talk talk about staying hydrated all the time. Um, And we talk about protein and having protein in your system and how it is that when you have food in your stomach and then you drink alcohol, the food allows the alcohol to be absorbed into your system at a slower rate and it doesn't quite get pulled into your body as fast. So you don't feel the effects of the alcohol and your whole body is able to absorb it and process it um, in, I guess you can kind of say in a gentler way than if you were to be drinking on an empty stomach. So what these have, it sounds like they are based on milk proteins and insoluble oat fiber. So it sticks around in your stomach and it has that protein that will allow your body to absorb the alcohol that you were drinking at a slower rate. Yeah, something, I, I was reading something about a milk protein. Yeah. That it coats your stomach. Is that, that I don't know if it it's works? necessarily the coating your stomach. I was assuming that this is the same type of milk protein that you find in like powder, powders that you can add to smoothies and that you can sort of bulk up things like that so that increases your, your protein, protein consumption without necessarily uh, a lot of calories, I guess. So the protein, helps because the alcohol they're saying breaks down the enzymes that get you the feeling of being mm-hmm. under the influence, correct? Right. And I think that the the fullness, you know, of having something in your stomach and it allows the alcohol not to go directly into your intestines because when it goes from your intestines and then, you know, on its way to your liver, it does get digested, or not digested, but it gets processed in your intestinal system. And if it stays in your stomach, it allows your system to process it in a slower manner. So this company, Kim, was an American company, Xeno Functional Foods. And I thought it was just amazing. The name of it is called Soba. Which I think is so cute. What a cute, clever name for it. And it took me a while. I'm like, Soba. I'm thinking Sober. It took me a while to catch the name. Then I was thinking, that was a brilliant Mm. idea. So smart. And one bar has about 210 calories and 35 carbs. So it'll, it'll... 
fill you up, right. I would assume. But it's not the as many calories as you would be getting with an entire meal. And that was what some of the testing for this was focusing on. They were comparing alcohol absorption when you have an empty stomach, alcohol consumption after a full meal, and after alcohol consumption after one of these bars. And they said that calorie for calorie, uh, the SOBAR did the best job of helping you not get drunk. And it had the story about how the the gentleman came up with this idea. He was at a wedding and he figured there's got to be some way that you can go to a wedding. You know, you start out with a, a toast, then you get open bar or whatever. Mm-hmm. He had this idea before that, the whole meal starts. Yeah, before the meal starts, you already have a lot of alcohol in you. So he said, you know, there should be something out there where you can go to an event enjoy the beverages but last the whole event mm-hmm. enjoying the beverages so i thought it was a, it was a, just a great idea and then before we started talking about this kim we both uh, did you read the article and then say this is a great product i need to get it i did see, so i went online see, and i bought like you i i researched <laughs> it i looked it up and i said Oh, it's a multi-pack. I'm not buying it. But you did. I did. I took the plunge. So I figured um, we can try them out or I can try them out and I can hand them out to my friends in the business. So yeah, I found a... um it's, it's a big box of them. It's like 24 of yeah, them. They're not very pack. big bars. So They're there actually was, quite small. There were three flavors, white chocolate almond, honey peanut, and caramel. Yes. I'm saying you got white chocolate. I got the mixed pack. Oh. So I got all three flavors. Oh, so even we can better. Try them. Yes. Even better. So we'll have to do a whole show right. on, on tasting these bars for us. Right. So we will, uh, we will give you our professional opinions on how this product works. So the 12 pack was like 29 bucks. So they're like... Two fifty a piece, approximately cost. I, think, I I don't remember anymore. It was like I think it was like twenty four dollars ish. Yeah, so yeah. like two bucks, two yeah. bucks a piece. So now Not I've cheap, been in but. a lot of times. I'm in the grocery store and I see this one nutrition bar that every time I see it, I swear it looks just like the packaging on this. There's a popular nutrition mm. bar out there, very colorful package, but. So Bar is, is the name of this product, and uh, I think it's just a great idea. And I'm, I'm shocked we haven't seen them more at trade events. And, you know, instead of a cracker, they're putting these out <laughs> on the tables. I think they should start looking at that. So one of the things, Kim, they did have a patent filed for an alcohol hold food, not a hangover prevention food. So you can't eat these before you drink and think you're not going to get a hangover, which was a very good thing that mm, they put in here. Mm-hmm. That's why you need to stay hydrated. That helps with the hangover. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Kim and Mark. You can find information about Mark on his website, franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. You know, we love to stay up to date on uh, trends in the industry, and uh, Mark absolutely loves tech in the industry. And this was an article that we found in Euro Weekly News that took a little bit of a different spin on tech for wine. There is an invention coming out of Spain that says that it can remove Remove alcohol from your bottle of wine without damaging the flavor of the wine. And I am crazy intrigued about this. I absolutely am. Yeah, it's interesting because the traditional way now that you find non-alcoholic wines is they actually make the wine and they de-alcoholize it by either heating it or spinning it like a centrifuge to take out the product. So this doesn't do that, and it reduces the the alcohol by, what did it say, Kim, like 30%? Can remove, 30%. Can remove up to 30%. So I think you kind of dial in a range of what you want to take out of it. Right. 
which is really interesting technology. Yeah, that seems to be... I actually went onto their website after reading this article uh, to see if they had any additional information about this machine on there. Uh, their website is called alcoholalacarte.com. And there was information on there about just that, that you can sort of pick and choose the level. So if you want to remove 10% of the alcohol, you can do that. If you want to remove 25% of the alcohol, you can do that. And I think they had a little bit of a wider range listed on their website, something like up to 80% of the alcohol to be removed without damaging, they're, they're saying, without changing the flavor or the texture of the wine. But then that gets me thinking, like, some wines, their texture and their weight and, you know, how they feel in your mouth is definitely related to their alcohol content. So I'm curious as to how that would change the wine itself. Yeah, the two key things you just said there, Kim, is first, the flavor not being impacted. Usually the non-alcoholic wines now, the low alcohol, well, the ones with no alcohol, the flavor is actually adjusted with some sort of, usually some sort of juice or something to give it that wine flavor. Mm -hmm. So to be able to remove it and keep the flavor is very interesting. And and the other point you made, Kim, about alcohol, that was one of the questions I had down here to ask you was a lot of times it's key to the balance in the wine. So another interesting thing in the technology they're saying here, Kim, is similar to what what happens with a dialysis machine on on a human, basically taking out your blood, cleaning it up, putting it back. It's cleaning up your wine from alcohol level and and it's very unique. Yeah, and I don't even understand how that would work. And Um, why, the other question I have for you, Kim, is why? Say, so tonight, it's- I can totally see the why. It's a 12% wine, say, and I want to make it 10%. Is it really- Maybe what's I mean, the point? Maybe. To drink more or just just drink I think, three ounces of twelve percent. I think to not to... drink as to still be able to have a glass of wine, but not necessarily to drink the amount of alcohol in that glass of wine. So as they were saying on their website, and as we've talked about a number of times on the show, where we have this move towards beverages that have lower levels of alcohol or no alcohol at all, or people getting out of drinking, it almost sounds like they're following this trend. So people maybe want to go to a bar and have a couple of different glasses of wine, but don't necessarily want to drink all that alcohol. So now there's the possibility of going somewhere and saying, yeah, I can have two glasses of wine, but they're both the equivalent of, say, 5% alcohol. And so you're consuming much, much less alcohol per glass. Did you see the machine's online, Kim? Because the picture I saw, it was it's not like your Mr. Coffee machine. It was a pretty huge, like almost medical lab equipment hmm. machine. Did you see any of the images I, on that? I did, but it just looked like a like a big box. It was almost like a little mini fridge <clears throat> yeah. that, that I saw. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not something you're just going to put on your kitchen counter. No. And know? I don't think that this is necessarily for people to have in their house at the moment. I think it's more that Industry they are base. trying to, yeah. So wine bars and restaurants and those folks that are at the front of this movement where they're trying to entice drinkers who maybe don't want to drink as much or are those people who are looking for those lighter beverages but still want the um, experience of, of having nice wine. In 3,000 euros. Yeah. It's only $4,000. Yeah. yeah. Expensive. (laughs) But a good point you you made there, Kim, about there might be someone who is cutting back on alcohol consumption but loves the flavor of a wine. And you might have an opportunity if you're a restaurant to put certain wines in this and take the alcohol away and still enjoy a popular wine. I mean, hey, if I could have a glass of Cabernet for 8%, 
alcohol as opposed to 15% alcohol and have that glass of Cabernet still taste exactly like it does with the 15%, I would go for it. I don't know if that is actually the case here. I mean, their marketing material seems that they are saying that, hey, this is going to taste exactly like it does without all the alcohol in it. I don't necessarily buy that. But if that truly is the case, I I totally think it could be a game changer for people. It would be interesting with fortified wines, right? Kim, you get like a port that's 20%. You like the flavor of port. Port for 10%. Bring it to 10. (laughs) It'd be interesting to test if it really tastes like a port when you cut the alcohol in half. Have to do some side-by-side comparisons. Yeah. It could be useful. It could be. Absolutely. Thank you for listening today to The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. If you're interested in past episodes, you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud.